0: Welcome to the Climate Report on WFMP-FM Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 124. Today's topic is Disempowering Corporate Ogres, Part 2. The mascot of these three episodes is Shrek. So Shrek was an ogre, but in many ways Shrek was just the opposite of the corporate ogres. Because Shrek, although he started off being mean and grumpy, at the end of the movie it turned out that he has a heart. He has feelings. But these big corporations, not small corporations, but the big corporations characterized by the Fortune 500 and their controlling investors, the big corporations characterized by the Forbes 400, that is the 400 wealthiest families, the corporate ogres are have a friendly face But it turns out that behind the scenes they do a lot of damage. They have a lot of illegitimate power. They wield power in such a way that does damage to people at home and abroad. They do damage to the environment at home and abroad. They make war on other countries and they make war on the people and the environment of the United States. What these big corporations represent is concentrations of power, because money is power. We know that money is power. Everyone acknowledges that money is power, and people who have power quite often wield that power in a way that is anything but benevolent, in a way that is anything but altruistic. So we'll be talking about that more in a few minutes, but first, here's what the climate report is all about. At the Climate Report we embrace science and we acknowledge that climate change is a grave threat to our very existence, and climate change of the catastrophic type is not in the distant future. Climate change of the catastrophic type is in the present and in the recent past. So far, climate change has caused the warming of the atmosphere to the extent of over one degree Celsius on average around the globe. In other words, climate change has caused about two degrees Fahrenheit average temperature change on average around the globe. And that's just an average. Some localities are experiencing quite a bit more than a one degree Celsius increase in temperature as an average throughout the year at that location. This is a formula for heat waves. It's a formula for drought. Heat waves and drought means crop production goes down. Heat waves and drought means people don't have the drinking water they need. Heat waves and drought means people die from heat stroke. People die from kidney failure. And one thing you'll never hear discussed in the corporate media is how historically the United States is the world's largest emitter of carbon dioxide. Currently, China, on a year-by-year basis, emits more carbon dioxide than we do, but that's only because they're manufacturing products that we import. So we've outsourced our manufacturing And if you count that, the United States continues to be the world leader in the emission of carbon dioxide. And yet we are not yet the primary victims of climate change. The primary victims of climate change are those who live in equatorial regions, those who live in regions that are drier than normal or hotter than normal. So if we were fair and just, we would be doing everything possible to compensate these people for the damage that we have caused. Not only are we not doing that, but we're making the situation worse by not doing anything significant to change from a fossil fuel economy to an economy based on renewable energy. Furthermore, the United States is the world's biggest obstacle to positive change. I mean our government and our big companies are the biggest obstacle to restructuring and reengineering. As I speak just in the last few days the Senate which is a majority Republican not the Democrats are doing much either but the Senate which is a majority Republican voted against the Green New Deal, which is simply, at this stage, the Green New Deal is simply a resolution. It doesn't even have any specifics in it, but it's a resolution to restructure our economy in such a way that creates the possibility of a habitable planet. So Kentucky's own Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, led the way to make sure that the Green New Deal does not even get out of the starting gate. It reminds one of the people in the 1800s who defended slavery. But Mitch McConnell is not a free agent. He serves his corporate masters. And it's the corporate masters that have bought Mitch McConnell that we really need to look at and those corporate masters need to be disempowered. We need to take away their power, and these three episodes focus on the many strategies we can use to take away the power from the corporations that are ruling, ruling the world and in a way that is illegitimate. Their power is illegitimate. Some of us believe that power is not. Self justifying. Power and authority are not self justifying. Power and authority do not justify themselves. They need to be justified and defended by those who hold power. People who hold power need to prove to us that their power is legitimate, and their power is legitimate only if they're working for the interests of. The vast majority of people, and we only know that if we have something called the consent of the governed. Our Declaration of Independence says that our government derives its power from the consent of the governed. The big corporations that wield power do not have the consent of the governed. We know this because in every material respect, the policies they advocate are contrary to the policies that are supported by the majority of Americans. Take Medicare for All or a living wage or high marginal taxes on people whose annual income is $10 million or more. These are all policies that are supported by the majority of people but are opposed by Mitch McConnell's corporate masters. They're opposed by the oil companies. They're opposed by the pharmaceutical companies. They're opposed by the war machine. They're opposed by the big health insurance companies. They're opposed by the National Restaurant Association. So these corporate entities and their allies have illegitimate power, and they need to be removed from power. Peacefully, nonviolently, but they need to be removed from power because their power is not legitimate. Their power is not derived from the consent of the governed. And that's what the Climate Report is all about. This program is part of WFMP's Public Affairs Educational Programming. The views expressed are those of the speaker and not the station. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net. Also, go to theclimatereport.net if you would like to find a handy-dandy convenient place to find previous episodes of this podcast and also my blog. Now, we're going through a numbered list of talking points. We got through about eight of them last time, but let's do a quick review Talking point number two, we must disempower the big corporations for these reasons. One, they rule the world. They're monocra- they're monarchical. They're autocratic. They're, trans- they're anything but transparent. They're anything but accountable. They're anti-democratic. They destroy local economies. They represent concentrations of power. And in a democracy, we're not supposed to have big concentrations of power. Furthermore, power is the power to do damage. Power is not neutral. Power is not inherently benign or benevolent. Power is the power to do damage. Power is the power to uh, pollute the water, pollute the air. Power is the power to do fracking, which is an ecological disaster. Power is the power to buy government and take away our democratic rights. Power is the power to own the corporate media and to sponsor the corporate media and to tell the corporate media, to advance a false narrative, a false pro corporate narrative. And not least of all, power is the power to make us go to war, to destroy other countries without any authority, without any legitimate authority or justification or reason. And then once we're done destroying other countries, the corporate media does not go back and tell the story the way it should be told. The story of Vietnam is not told the way it should be told. The story of the Iraq War or the Afghanistan War or the war on terrorism is not told in a way as to draw our attention to the truth and the horror and the tragedy of these wars. The story of our impact on Latin America in the last century or more is not told in a way as to draw attention to the truth and the tragedy and the horror of our involvement. That's why corporations need to be disempowered. As opposed to what? As opposed to like confiscating their assets and nationalizing them. There's a time to nationalize companies like big banks. If a big bank goes bankrupt, well, You messed up, and your sorry butt is going to get nationalized. General Motors goes out of business in two thousand, or goes bankrupt in 2009. Well, you messed up. You're going to be nationalized. So there's a time for that, but we want to use an exercise, a variety of strategies for taking the wind out of their sails. So how do we do this? We talked last time about raising the minimum wage to a living wage, and why that is not only will have a positive impact on local economies, a positive impact on workers, on families, on local economies, and why it's good and right and just and fair, because we have wealth redistribution in this company, but it's the wrong way. It's wealth redistribution upward. We need wealth redistribution downward to counteract the systemic upwards wealth redistribution. Wealth redistribution upwards happens not least of all when we pay for war because the taxpayer pays the government, the government pays the Pentagon, the Pentagon buys all sorts of things, planes and tanks and bombs and cargo carriers and personnel carriers, bulldozers, you name it. They buy all this stuff From companies, and who profits from that? Not primarily the workers who make these items, but primarily the people who profit from war. And then, when we do that, then there's all this technology that spins off. Computer technology is a result of defense spending, and so the computer technology is handed over to Steve Jobs and to Bill Gates, and they become billionaires, and they don't have to pay the taxpayer for having invested in the relevant technologies for decades. Shareholders of Boeing are not paying back the taxpayer for the decades of research that went into making warplanes, and then that Research that technology is handed over to Boeing so they can use it to make commercial aircraft. The shareholders of Boeing benefit from that, and the people are never repaid for all their investment in all the science and all the engineering that led to the technology which is making Boeing shareholders rich. That's upward wealth redistribution. It happens every day in America. And we spend a trillion dollars a year on defense, which is not primarily to defend Americans, but it's primarily to enrich those who already have more money than you and I will ever see. That's the primary function of the Pentagon. It's not to defend us because we are less safe as a result of the war machine. We are not more safe as a result of the war machine. We are less safe physically because of the war machine, and we are less safe financially because of the war machine. Therefore, I conclude that the purpose of the war machine is not to make you and me safe. The purpose of the war machine is to enrich the people who have the power to influence our government so that our government policies and our government spending favors a very small class of very rich people. That's why, talking point number four, we need to raise the minimum wage to a living wage because that causes wealth redistribution downward from the rich to the poor and the middle class, and that needs to happen because it's fair, it's right, and it's just. Talking point number five, for the same reason we need a universal basic income, everyone needs to get a basic income simply because they they live and breathe and need the money and it's hard for people to get the money they need in our highly dysfunctional economy and dysfunctional political system. Talking point number six, we need to use environmental regulations to protect the public. For example, fracking. Fracking is terrible. Fracking is horrible. Fracking causes all forms of diseases. We don't even know the diseases that are being caused by fracking because the technology has come onto the scene so rapidly and because the people who want to make money from it are good at buying the loyalty of our Elected officials and our regulators, but we need environmental regulations to protect the public uh, in the form of regulation. You know, we need to ban fracking. We just need to ban fracking. We need to monitor the release of methane because it's a very harmful, very potent greenhouse gas, 80 to 100 times more potent than carbon dioxide, at least in the first few years after release. We need to have regulations for clean water, we have some of those, they're just not nearly as strong as they need to be. In fact, in this administration, the president has succeeded in removing or repealing or relaxing an amazing number of the regulations that we have. So we need to disempower corporate ogres by preventing them from polluting our air, polluting our water, prevent them from fracking, which is catastrophic. I mean, you use lots and 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 lots lots of water to pump it into the ground. Then you create an explosion, which then releases natural gas, and it releases uh, oil, and it releases it into the water, it releases it into the air, it releases it into the groundwater, it releases it into our streams and rivers. It is an absolute disaster. But the companies that have bought the right to do this have have done just that. They've bought the right to do this. If they had less money, then they would have less ability to buy the loyalty of our uh, elected officials and buy the loyalty of our regulators. How do you buy the loyalty of a regulator? Well, you promise them, in so many words, a really good job. So a regulator is a government employee, and... You don't even have to explicitly promise them a job. You just There's just a kind of pipeline that goes from government to private industry. If you are a government regulator and you go easy on these people, then they'll give you a really good job after you're done. It's part of the way the game is played. And this helps the fossil fuel companies, the fracking companies make lots of money The more money they have, the more they can use that to buy the right to pollute. But what we need to do instead is to have a strong regulatory scheme. For one thing, ban fracking. But in addition to that, we need to have strong controls on the regulation of methane. We need to have strong controls that keep our water clean. And here's what happens when you do that. You create jobs. Regulations create jobs. Now, that's not what you've heard, right? All we've heard is that regulations destroy jobs. Regulations put a burden on industry. Regulations hurt profitability, so it takes away people's jobs. But regulations put people to work. Because for one thing, regulations need a regulator. So if you have somebody, a regulator, who whose job is to monitor whether these companies are in compliance with the release of methane, then that person has a job. Plus, people in the company have to do their work to monitor compliance and to do the things that physically need to be done to make sure that we're not releasing a bunch of methane. Because methane is a greenhouse gas, a very potent greenhouse gas. But if you have regulators and regulations, then the regulator has a job, people within the company have a job, and if a company is not profitable enough to remain profitable in the face of reasonable regulations that protect the public, then they should not be in business. We have climate change and four other threats to our very existence to deal with. We do not need to be ramping up on fossil fuel industry and fossil fuel infrastructure. We need to be scaling that down, and we need to be doing that rapidly. Instead, what we've got is lots and lots and lots and lots of fracking has occurred in the last 10 years because all of a sudden it's a money-making opportunity, but it actually kills and poisons most local business. It poisons and even kills people, workers, residents. So that's not only inhumane, it's not how you build a strong economy. Strong economies are built on people who are educated and healthy. You don't build a strong economy by poisoning people. So we need... so. Talking point number six on the subject of disempowering corporate ogres is to put in place strong environmental regulations so that will protect the public, so the public will be healthier, so regulators will be put to work and compliance officers will be put to work, Talking point number seven, is I've already been talking about, use environmental regulations to create jobs and shift earnings from shareholders to workers and local economies. When rapacious corporations act like they're going to create jobs, they don't care about jobs, they care about profits. We need to shift earnings from profits to wages and salaries. We need to give earnings more to employees and less to corporate CEOs and shareholders. That's how we disempower corporations, and we do so in a way that is fair and right and just. For one thing, employees are much more likely to put money back into the local economy, whereas shareholders are very un likely to put money back into the local economy. Talking point number eight. For these same reasons, we need to empower unions. We've been taught in the United States of America that unions are bad, that unions are corrupt, that unions are power hungry, that unions are bad for local economies. And yeah, there's a right and a wrong way to go about doing unions, but you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. In fact, everything I just said about unions is also true about corporations. They're they're corrupt, they're power-hungry, and they're often bad for the economy. So we need to have strong union laws. In the United States of America, we have weak union laws. In the United States of America, if, uh, try this. Let's say on the bulletin board in the employee workroom or the break room, let's say you put up a sign that says, hey, we're organizing a union. Come join us at lunch on Friday. If you did that, would that make you more popular with your employer? No, your employer would at least be curious, would probably be suspicious, and might even fire you. That's because in the United States, we don't have strong protections for organizing unions. The United States has a very violent anti-labor history, and now union workers are something like six or seven percent of the total. We need unions. We need people to be able to organize collectively, because guess what? The corporation that you work for is collectively, they get to bargain collectively, All the shareholders get to consolidate their money and get to bargain collectively against the employees. We need the employees to be able to bargain collectively for wages, for benefits, for safe working conditions. And if you think about it, a union is not going to want to put the company out of business. If they want to keep their job, they're going to want to stop short of doing something that is unduly harmful to the company. Plus, historically, unions have had a role to play in advocating for benefits for society, things such as health care. So I'm not saying unions have always historically done the right thing and some have been corrupt, but show me one corrupt union and I'll show you a hundred corrupt corporations and their wealthy investors. Corporations have a mandate to make a profit, they're not doing their job if they don't squeeze as much profit as they possibly can out of the situation, and their job is to pay people as little as possible while still getting the job done. That's good for the bottom line, but it's not good for society, it's not good for workers, and anything, ultimately anything that's not good for society and not good for workers is not good for business either. So business, in many respects, it, in, in big business, is it's parasitic. It's in the job of sucking as much as it can out of the society on which it depends for its life. So it's like you know a parasite can kill the host. And if you create a workforce that is sick, tired, desperate, and poor, then that workforce is not going to constitute a very good set of customers for you. And if we have a situation where every company has to squeeze people for all their worth in order to, to compete, then that's a situation where you're encouraging the worst behavior. Let's take minimum wage, for example. $15 an hour minimum wage will create a situation in a community where a lot more people have a lot more money to spend therefore that's good for businesses but if you don't have that $15 an hour minimum wage then the businesses have to pay as little as possible in order to compete and that results in a situation where everybody has a where the minimum wage earners have a lot less money to spend and that's bad for business got about another minute left, and I'd like to leave you with something to think about. So, when I criticize corporations, I get a lot of pushback from people who have learned to associate corporations with everything that is good and positive about America. But keep in mind that corporations are in charge of the media. Much of what we think we know about the world, not only from the news media, but from the entertainment media, much of what we think we know about the world has come to us from the corporate media who are always advancing a false narrative to benefit their corporate overlords. That's about all we have time for. Hope you've enjoyed this episode and we will come back soon. Have a great day.